here on Sunday mornings. And uh, this morning, we're going to look at those plagues. And I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 7. We'll begin in verse 14. We'd love to have you read along with us and buckle your seatbelts. We're moving fast. Father, we ask your blessing now upon this time, this holy moment where we consider your word. Lord, again, we acknowledge that you are in charge. You're the authority. What you say goes. And I pray, Lord, that we would be people who would live a submissive life to you. I pray, Lord, that you would bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the Lord spoke to the Pharaoh of Egypt through uh, Moses and Aaron very clearly. The message was clear. He said to Pharaoh, I'm the God of the Hebrews. Let my people go. But Pharaoh was going to need some convincing. Pharaoh was a tough guy. He was a Mr. Confident, arrogant guy. He was confident in all of his power. He was confident in all of the various Egyptian gods and goddesses. So it's going to be a fight. So over about a nine-month period of time, God will send miraculous, devastating plagues to Pharaoh and Egypt. Ten of them. Plagues, in Latin and in Hebrew, the original word means a blow or a wound or like a punch. Pharaoh's going to try to box God, but he's going to take a bunch of body blows, uppercuts, and eventually a knockout blow. God will humble Pharaoh. So I want to take... Just a few moments and look at each plague very briefly. Plague number one, the Nile River was turned to blood. Verse 14, so the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water and you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. And the rod which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand. And you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed until now you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die. The river shall stink. The Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. So I always picture in my mind Pharaoh getting up one morning well rested. He's had a good night's sleep. And he goes to the banks of the Nile for his royal bath. Probably went through his ritualistic worship of the gods and goddesses of the Nile River. Moses and Aaron meet him. They say, since you have not let the Hebrew people go, you will be judged with this plague. And they put their rod out 
over the Nile River, immediately the Nile River turns to blood. And you look further down in the text, all the ponds, all the lakes, all the different branches of the river, everything turns to blood. The blood in wooden buckets and wooden, wooden stone, stones are also just filled with water that is turned to blood. You read later in the text and it says there was blood throughout the entire land of Egypt. All the fish died. There was a great stink upon the land, a stench that was unbearable. The Egyptians loathed it, they said. And this would be in effect for about one week. The Egyptians could drink good water simply by digging wells. That was the only way they could get at it. Now, this was a devastating plague. The Egyptians depended upon the Nile River for everything. Transportation, agriculture, washing, cleanliness, fishing. God absolutely devastated their life stream. It would be as if God turned off all the oil in America for one week. How would we do if all the oil got turned off for one week? God devastated them with this first plague. And it was directed at objects of Egyptian worship. The Egyptians worshipped the Nile River. In fact, they sang hymns to the Nile River. I found the lyric for one of their hymns. They would sing, O Nile, bringer of food, rich in provision, creator of all good, Lord of majesty, sweet fragrance. Didn't smell very good after that. God was also judging the gods of the Nile River. The Egyptians worshipped a god named Osiris. That god had one main responsibility, take care of the Nile River. Couldn't do it. In fact, the Egyptians believed that the Nile River was the bloodstream of Osiris. So God turned the river into actual blood. The god named Apis was the god of the Nile. Isis was the goddess of the Nile. Kunim was the guardian of the Nile. All of those Egyptian gods and deities were judged and humiliated. Now in this plague, the Egyptian magicians were able to duplicate it. They were able to turn water to blood. What a great help that must have been, right? Here, let's put more blood in the blood flow, right? But Pharaoh saw this great sign and hardened his heart. He said no. So we come to plague two, one of my favorites. I think God has a sense of humor. Frogs. Verse 1 of chapter 8, the Lord spoke to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. So the river shall come forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, and into your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you, on your people, and all your servants. 
Now, I told you a couple of weeks ago when we were meeting in a tent, we had one summer where a pond developed behind our tent, and the tadpoles came. And we had like a little mini uh, uh, infestation of frogs. Now, it was actually kind of cute. The kids loved it. But it only lasted a couple days. This was not cute in Egypt. Thousands upon thousands of frogs. Frogs filling the land. Frogs everywhere. Frogs in the house. Frogs in your bedroom. Frogs in your bed. In your oven. In your kitchen. In your kneading bowls. Frogs covering the ground. Imagine... The Egyptians walking on frogs, the continued squashing crunch, slipping on the greasy mass of crushed bodies. Absolutely disgusting. The Egyptians worshipped a goddess that they called Hect. She's always pictured with a frog head. She was the goddess of fertility. She was the goddess who was said to help the Egyptians' women conceive. She was like the goddess of midwives. She was there to help at childbirth. Interesting that he'd fill their bedrooms with frogs. Nothing like a bunch of frogs in the bedroom to encourage fertility, right? And then the frogs were sacred. They're stepping on their frogs. God humiliated that goddess. Now, the magicians were able to do that as well. They were able to make frogs come up. Again, just adding to the problem. So, in this plague, the Pharaoh is so bummed out that he goes to Moses and he says, Pray to your God and take the frogs away. Please pray. I'll let your people go. Moses prays, the frogs all die, and then Pharaoh says, never mind. And you'll see that happen throughout the ten plagues, the back and forth like that. So Pharaoh says no. So plague number three, lice. Look at verse 16 of chapter 8. So the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your rod Strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth and it became lice on man and beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, the Hebrew word for lice can mean lice, but it can also mean any number of small, disgusting insects. Gnats. Fleas, mosquitoes, even maggots. All these gross, disgusting insects that filled Egypt, covered man and beast. Well, they worshipped a god by the name of Set, who was the god of the desert. They also worshipped a god named Geb who was supposed to be the god of the soil. Those two gods are completely humiliated at this point. By the way, the poor magicians in Egypt, 
These guys uh, were obsessed with cleanliness. In fact, they would bathe once or twice a day. They always shaved. They were always bald. They shaved off all the... Because they wanted to be pure to go into the temples of their deities. They could only lead in worship like that. Here they are now covered in frog juice and lice and insects. Messy, dirty, ugly. I want you to notice something here at this one. Verse 18, it says, Now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. Then the Egyptians, magicians, verse 19, said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. At this point, plague number three, all the power of the magicians stopped. They try to duplicate it. They can't. They run to Pharaoh and say, hey, this one is way out of our hand. This is the finger of God. Pharaoh, we've just entered a realm of power that is beyond the realm of our magicians. Pharaoh hardened his heart. He didn't care. He said no. So plague number four, flies. How many of you love flies? Verse 20, the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning, stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Then say to them, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your servants, on your people, into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. That's why I believe maggots were probably involved in the prior plague because you can't have a bunch of flies without maggots and now you have all of these flies. Have you ever been in a room with one fly? And you're just trying to concentrate and it's banging up against the window. The bu- Can you imagine the buzzing that they heard the, the, the madness of it, the insanity, a cloud swarm of fries, flies. Well, depending on where you get fries. <laughs> flies. Some believe that there may have been dog flies. The biting ones. Ever been bit by a fly? It was probably a mixture also of other bugs, possibly beetles, stink bugs. The Egyptians had a god named Kefri that looked like a beetle. So God judged them, totally corrupting the Egyptian priesthood. All of their... God's being humiliated. And look in verse 22. This is important in this plague. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen. In which my people will dwell. That no swarms of flies. Shall be there. In order that you may know that I am the Lord. In the midst of the land. I will make a difference. Between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. So it's at this very important plague. Plague number four. God tells Pharaoh. All of these signs that you're experiencing in Egypt, the Hebrew people aren't. All of the swarms of flies are in Egypt, not in Goshen, 
where the Hebrews lived. Goshen became the first no-fly zone. (laughs) And right there in the center of Egypt, think of it, everywhere around it, Egypt's being plagued, and yet God's people right there, they're sheltered. God makes a distinction. So now he's telling Pharaoh, my judgments are directed. Still, Pharaoh won't budge. Okay, so up to this point, the plagues have been terrible. They've been matters of inconvenience, horrific. Pharaoh will not relinquish. And so now they become more deadly, much more serious. Plague number five, the death of livestock. Verse 1 of chapter 9, the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and tell him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. If you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle, in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the oxen, the sheep, a very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. Nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. So now the livestock, a plague, serious pestilence, some kind of disease that killed off all of their animals out in the field. Now, this is important to understand because... Animals show up at different times, and and some people think, well, when did all the animals get killed or whatnot? Every animal in the field got killed at this point. However, the Egyptians also kept a lot of animals in corrals with inside the cities and in shelters and pens. They had a lot of animals there, and the animals would go out in different cycles, in different shifts. And in this case, all the animals that were out in the field, they get this pestilence, and they're killed. Apis, the bull god. Hathor, the cow god. Kunim, the ram god. All of their different gods that have their little horns. They were supposed to be in charge of keeping the livestock healthy and well. They were judged. They were humiliated. Pharaoh's heart is still hardened. So now they get even more personal. Plague number six, boils. Verse eight, so the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take for yourself handfuls of ash from a furnace and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh, and it will become fine dust in the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. They took the ashes from the furnace. They stood before Pharaoh. Moses scattered them toward heaven, and this caused boils that break out in sores on man and beast. The magicians could not even stand before Moses. Because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and all of the Egyptians. Now, this is up close and personal. The language here, some disgusting type of rash. Oozing, 
itching, boils. Some even suggest it was some kind of form of skin leprosy. It must have been absolutely frustrating and painful and scary. You know, last year I got shingles. That is one painful rash. I can't imagine all of these people covered in boils and rash. And it's divine pronouncement of judgment against them. The Egyptians worshipped the god named Sekhmet, who had alleged power over all disease. Sunu, the pestilence god. Isis, the goddess of healing. None of those gods could help. God humiliated them. And then understand, the, the, the priesthood now is just completely been demolished. Verse 11 says they were so covered in boils they couldn't even stand. These are the magicians. To understand how completely God humiliated Pharaoh's magicians, it helps to know that by throwing ashes into the air, Moses was doing something that the Egyptian priests often did. It was customary for Pharaoh's priests to take sacrificial ashes, cast them into the air as a sign of blessing. God took that ritual act and turned it into a curse. Gang, in these plagues, God is systematically dismantling all that the Egyptians believed in. Humiliating. Well, the boils went away. Pharaoh said, hey, pray for us. We'll let the people go. The boils go away. Pharaoh says no. So plague number seven, a hailstorm. Verse 22 of chapter 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be hail in the land of Egypt on man, on beast, on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven. The Lord sent thunder and hail. Fire darted to the ground. The Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire mingled with the hail. So very heavy that there was none like it in the land of Egypt. The hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt. All that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen where the children of Israel were. There was no hail. Now this was a storm. This is a, a supernatural storm. Hail and fire. The language in Hebrew even seems to indicate like lightning went horizontal as well as vertical. Just absolutely crushing trees, vegetation, servants, any other of the animals that are left to shelters and gone out into the fields. Man, hail can be dangerous. I don't know where this storm took place, but here's hail drop that was the size of a cue ball. In fact, there was a story 
a couple months ago, maybe you saw this coming out of Red Rocks, outdoor concert venue, hail fell. There's on Instagram, there's pictures of people running. People's arms were broken by hail. Can't even imagine that type of judgment. The Egyptians worshipped a god who either goes by nut or mutt. Both of them appropriate, I guess. And Set. Set was the storm god. Mutt or nut was the sky goddess. Their judge. You see, the Egyptians had a god for every phase of life. The soil. The livestock. The Nile River. Even the heavenlies. Every single one of those are being completely and totally judge. Now, it's at this point that some of the Egyptians began to wake up and they began to be more friendly towards Moses. Before this hailstorm, God gave a warning. He gave a warning to everyone in the land, including the Egyptians. Hey, this hailstorm's about to come. Get your animals and servants inside. And in verse 20 of chapter 9, It says, he who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. So advanced warning and many of the Egyptians said, man, we're headed for the hills. They brought their animals and their servants in. And they were spared. But not Pharaoh. Pharaoh's going to stay stubborn. So plague number eight. A locust plague. Massive locust plague. I read this week that a locust is capable of eating its own weight every day. One. One square mile of locust will contain between 100 million and 200 million locusts. And by the way, swarms are as wide as 400 square miles. They're able to flap their wings nonstop for 17 hours. They're able to fly at a cruising speed of 10 to 12 miles an hour for 20 hours at a time. Incredible little things will absolutely devastate a nation. And of course, the Egyptians had their gods of the crops, their gods of the grain, They're gods of the fields. Now, I want you to notice something. This is another plague where God gives them advance warning. Hey, this locust plague is coming. Let my people go. And look what Pharaoh's servants say to him in verse 7 of chapter 10. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? Now, these are the servants close to him in his household. They're like Pharaoh. Look around. Egypt is destroyed. 
Listen to Moses. Let the people go. And by the way, remember this detail. Pharaoh was seen as a god. In fact, he was the son of Ra, they saw. The sun god. (laughs) Pharaoh had one major task. To maintain order and balance in the universe. Especially in the Egyptian way of life. His job was to drive out all chaos. His was to work in close connection with the other deities of Egypt to ensure balance, good weather, good crops, fertility, a healthy Nile River. These servants are like Pharaoh. Give it up. But Pharaoh said no. So verse 13, chapter 10, Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt And the Lord brought an east wind on that land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. The locusts went up over all the land of Egypt, rested on all the territory of Egypt. They covered the face of the whole earth. The land was darkened. They ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees, which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. And still, Pharaoh hardens his heart, won't let the people go. So the ninth plague, darkness. Verse 21, chapter 10, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, the darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven. There was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. The children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Now, this was a supernatural darkness. This wasn't an eclipse. It wasn't nighttime. It was a thick, heavy darkness. The scripture says that it was a darkness that could be felt. Apparently, it was also a darkness that did not allow the Egyptians to light candles or lanterns. Just three days of utter darkness while there's light in Goshen. I don't know, man, three days in total darkness. Can't see each other. Everyone's just sitting around. Now, this was a huge blow. The main god of the Egyptians was the sun god, Ra. He was said to be the creator god. And again, Pharaoh was said to be his son. God literally turned out turned the sun out. Incredible form of judgment. So after three days, Pharaoh runs to Moses, says, Take away this plague. And, and he says, Moses, I'll let you and all your people go. Everyone can go. Just keep your livestock back. And Moses says, That's not going to happen. We need to bring our livestock as well for sacrifices. 
So at the very end of verse of chapter 10 and verse 28, the Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses, get out of here. I never want to see your face again. If I see your face again, I'm going to kill you right on the spot. Verse 29, so Moses said, you've spoken well. I'll never see your face again. Time's up. And of course, that's when the plague, the 10th plague comes. The death angel released in Egypt at midnight. Every firstborn in Egypt was killed from Pharaoh to the servants, even among the animals. And that's the one that knocks Pharaoh to the mat. That's the knockout blow. After that one, Pharaoh will let them go. But boy, he was a tough cookie, wasn't he? So stubborn. Caused so much pain to himself and his people. Now, those plagues, those ten plagues, there's some lessons from the plagues that I just want you to understand. Number one, those plagues were an example of justice being served. Now, you read some of those plagues and you think, man, that's pretty harsh, God. Listen, when God judges, when God inflicts justice, it's usually a perfect, equitable retaliation to what's being judged. So I want you to think about this. Pharaoh commanded the Hebrew midwives to kill the infant babies. You remember that? Horrific thing. And the Hebrew midwives refused to do it. But God remembered that. That was a terrible thing. So he judged the goddess of their midwives. Miss Frog Girl. Judged her. After the Hebrew midwives refused to kill the infant babies, the soldiers went in and they threw Hebrew babies into the Nile River. So the Nile River became blood. And the death of the firstborn, in my view, over the Passover night, life for life. Life for life. How many babies did they throw into the Nile River? Justice was served. And then I want you to think about this. The Egyptians treated the Hebrew slaves harshly, literally trying to kill them with the slow death. Beat them, whipped them, killed some of them. So God inflicted the Egyptians with boils and sent hailstone down on them. The Egyptians forced the Hebrew slaves to live in a venue of filth and disgust. And so God would cause the Egyptians to do the same. The Egyptians, they would live in a, you know, in the lap of luxury while all of these Hebrew slaves would do all of the work. I see all the Egyptians, they're in their, they got their patios, they got their nice Areas They're just hanging out, yet exploiting slaves. 
Think about it. The plagues turned the Egyptians into people clawing the ground for the basic necessities of life. Imagine if all the one percenters lost everything. Had to claw the ground for the basic necessities of life. God's justice was served. Hey, Egypt, let's see what it feels like. Let's see how you like being a slave. Now, that's something to to remember about God. Listen, if you go around treating people poorly, God will oftentimes judge you in the same way you treat other people. God's justice is being served. There's another very important windows of opportunity close. Windows of opportunity close. Now there's a beautiful verse I love in 2 Peter chapter 3. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness. But is long suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. Now that is the heart of God. He is patient. He's not willing that any would perish. And he gives opportunity and opportunity and opportunity. But those windows of opportunity will close. Think of all the opportunities Pharaoh was given. I mean, Moses and Aaron on the first meeting walked in and asked him all nice-like. No. Second meeting, their rod is turned into that snake. You remember the battle of the snakes. God was appealing to Pharaoh. And then with each one of those ten plagues, there was always an opportunity To do the right thing. But the door, the window of opportunity closed for Pharaoh. By the way, I I believe that many of the Egyptians turned to the Lord. I think a lot of them said, no, we're not with you anymore, Pharaoh. I think there were many Egyptians that took advantage of these windows of opportunity. Now listen. You are given an opportunity to get right with God. The windows of opportunity are open. God loves you. God has sent his son. But if you continue to rebel, that window of opportunity will close. And by the way, the window of opportunity for planet Earth will one day close. God is gracious. His grace is being poured out. Opportunity. The Bible teaches, though, that human history's headed towards a seven-year tribulation period. It's talked about in the book of Revelation when God's judgment will be poured out upon the earth on a global scheme. All of the plagues that we just saw, all of them will be poured out in the Revelation, the tribulation period. Water turned to blood, darkness in the skies, even frog-like demons being released from the bottomless pit to terrorize mankind. Plagues, pestilence, all. The windows of opportunity will close. But God makes a distinction. God makes a distinction. Do you belong to him? Lessons from the plague proves the vanity of false gods. All of those gods failed the Egyptians. Every single one of them. 
And there are still false gods today that a lot of people depend on. The God of money and wealth and fame and whatever. A lot of people will worship academia, human philosophy, science, medicine. How many people are deceived by Satan in false religions and false belief systems and philosophies? All of the false gods will fail you. They'll be no better than the Egyptian deities. The living God, you can count on him. And then the final lesson, divine commands are non-negotiable. When God makes a command, it's non-negotiable. God's God, not you, right? All through this battle with Pharaoh, the message never changed. No, not even once. God told Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh kept trying to make compromises. Well, just go without the kids or just bring the men or do your thing here or leave the livestock. But time and time and time again, The message didn't change. The commands of God are non-negotiable. If you want to fight God, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. It does say in Psalm 33, the counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. What God says is true. And that is so important when it comes to the idea of salvation and how people get right with God. Jesus in John chapter 14 said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those are the divine commands of God. They are non-negotiable. Jesus Christ is the only way. Period. Exclusively. And that's because of the gospel message. We're told in 1 Corinthians 15, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and then he was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Jesus came, paid the price for the sins of the world. That was a sacrifice. He paid the price. He was buried, and he rose again the third day. So the gospel message stands true. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You must believe upon him. John 1.12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Acts 16, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. It's the only way. Now, you can argue with God about it. You can. But his will is non-negotiable. There's only one way to be saved, through faith in Jesus Christ. And understand, think of what Jesus did. The whole story of the Exodus is God redeeming his people from an evil satanic dictator and slavery and bondage and death. And that is what God wants to do with us. And he gave his son to do it. Don't let the enemy deceive you. The Lord Jesus wants to save you. 
redeem you, forgive you, bring you into his kingdom. If you haven't received Christ yet, you need to do so right now. And by the way, my brothers and sisters in Christ, you need to submit every area of your life to God. Are you playing games with God? Are you trying to do things your own way? Listen, we're supposed to live in submission. So turn every area of your life to him. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Lord, you say what you mean and you mean what you say. You're straight up. You share with us exactly what truth is. And you've given us free will. You've given us a choice. We can leave it or accept it. How unwise to reject it. How absolutely wise to receive. Lord, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to each heart. Maybe you're here this morning, you're a born-again Christian, you've received Jesus. But you're fighting against him. You're holding things back. Surrender all to him. Surrender everything about your life. He's got good plans for you. He wants to make your life fruitful. If you've drifted from him, come back to him this morning. Now, if you're here this morning and you've not yet received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the one who died on that cross for you and rose again, do so right now. Become a child in his family, if that's you, in the quietness of your heart. You make that surrender. Say, Lord, I surrender. I admit that I am a sinner. And I need my sins forgiven and washed away. And thank you for being the only one, the Savior, who gave your life on that cross for me and rose again. You've given all for me, so now I surrender. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Come into my life, forgive me of all my sins, fill me with your spirit, and help me to follow you. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.